Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Castle Rock Critical. We're back only a day after our last review to talk to you about Hulu's Castle Rock, episode two, titled Habeas Corpus. Interesting name. Mm. Um, I'm joined with the same gang as before. We have John. Hello. Emma. Hiya. And all the way down under, Gareth. Good day, everybody. Guys, we love the pilot. We bloody loved it. Could the show and can the show build upon that excellent pilot that left us intrigued with elements of mystery, good character setup, and an excellent tone and setting of Castle Rock? Did it build upon it? Emma, go shoot. And for anyone listening for the first time, we rate everything on this show out of five blueberries. There are no halves. It's either zero, one, two, three, or five. Five being the highest, zero being the lowest. Nothing has ever got a zero. Emma, give me the blueberry as well. So I'm going to save my blueberry. Uh, episode two, absolutely. <laughs> save them. Absolutely continued the intrigue of, of the pilot episode. Um, for me, this was probably the best in terms of uh, Stephen King Easter eggs and uh, and developing oh, oh yeah uh, developing the plot forward. It got really interesting in episode two. I really enjoyed it, and I'm, I'm but I am going to follow my episode one, my pilot episode rating. Give it a four blueberries out of five. Very good, very good score. I mean, for anyone listening to us for the first time, I mean the blueberry system is a harsh but fair scale. Mm. Um, no no halves makes it extremely difficult and and a four let me tell you something is very we rate that as very good so that's not a bad score excellent going to gareth next um you were a fan of the pilot you liked the way that it weaved elements of certain shows like american horror story which you didn't like but took the elements of that which you did like and weaved it into a new sort of concept or idea or genre perhaps what did you think about the second episode did it did it carry on that sort of journey for you Gaz? yeah that's a that's a perfect summary actually of how i felt about episode one um and i have to say it did i think it, it picked up exactly where episode one left off um it maintained that same vibe that same atmosphere that same kind of um you know, New England kind of witchy feeling about it. That's mm. you know, so there's, yeah. there's, there's something off, isn't there? Um, there's something very Stephen King about it. Hundred uh, about it all, obviously. Um, and yeah, it it continued that that thread. Um, I was a big fan of this episode as well. I've got to say, um, I am also for the second week running, giving second episode running giving four blueberries out of five. I like it. It's consistent. And that is a good sign of the show, to be fair. John, coming to you next. Uh, you gave it four out of five last week. Yeah. You enjoyed the pilot. You didn't did, like, yeah. You liked a lot of the characters. You didn't like some others, which we mentioned, but mm. you did enjoy the show and you're excited to see where it went. Did the second episode do the pilot justice? No. Um, Brutal, well, instant. No, and it, and it and it didn't. Um, and you know, I'm not going to attack other members of this podcast, but is I just, it, is I, it I me? just think you're all a joke, to be honest. Because <laughs> like to, to give that episode four out of five is like, come on, man. Like once we get to really good episodes, which yeah. this isn't, uh, I think you guys are going to have to come back to this one mm. uh, and revise your scores because it's not as good as the first episode. Mm. I don't care what anyone says. Um, and uh, based on that, I'm not going to give it a four out of five. Yeah. I'll give it a three out of five. Still, still fine. Still good. Still, mm, you know, still good. Mark, it's, it's okay. Look, me and John, me and John agree on a lot of things, but we also disagree on our scores a lot, a lot of the lot time. Of things. I do think this is weaker than the pilot. 
I think the pilot did a exceptional job of setting up the 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 universe and setting up the the tone and as i said making castle rock feel like a character mm. i think i think the heavy lifting was done in that pilot to such a good extent that it makes it an excellent pilot but i think there are moments in this in this episode which are weaker mm. there's a lot more sort of moving pieces into place going on rather than saying this is where they are on the board yeah. they're moving them around um, however, I have to say my favourite sequence out of the whole first two episodes is in this episode. Okay, yeah. Um, I think there are some... What is that? Well, we'll come on to it in a minute. Well, you know, well, I'll uh, give us a clue. I'll I'm... give you a clue. It's it's basically the history of the town narrated by um, Ward and Lacey. I think yeah. that is excellent. I think okay, yeah. the cinematography used, I think the way they use one camera shot going through different uh, stories within Castle Rock, highlighting different Easter eggs, which we'll come on to in King Corner, mm. um, is brilliant. I love Terry O'Quinn's through line of the episode, him narrating mm. throughout the episode. I think that is excellently done. I think it's expertly made. Mm. And I think that is something that I've been so surprised with with this show. And I, I shouldn't be because Handmaid's Tale, for example, as a Hulu original, is is such an excellently made show and, and you know, is a, is a critical hit. And I think Hulu is really finding its feet now with its own um, its own production, similar to the way that Netflix has. And uh, I shouldn't be surprised that it's so well made, but it is so well made. I think it looks beautiful, beautiful in an eerie, an eerie, Indiana. horrific Indiana way. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's not as strong as the pilot. I'm going to give it four blueberries. I give the pilot five blueberries because I think it's an excellent pilot. And there are so many good things to talk about in this episode which i'm excited to chat with you all about and i'm you know especially with this episode i'm excited to for for king corner because i think i think king corner this week i know last week we actually really enjoyed it and we had a good really frank discussion i think this week Mm. will really highlight so many little easter eggs from the stephen king universe the multiverse as it were so guys just if you first time listening to us the way we do it is we go scene by scene and then we're going to go to King Corner, which is our own specific section where we're going to talk about any Easter eggs. So if we don't necessarily reference the Easter eggs in the body of the podcast, it's oh the body. There's an Easter egg in there. Oh. Um, it's because we're going to go to a separate whole section to talk about all the Easter eggs. We might reference little ones here and there, but we like to talk about them all in one chunk because it's more fun to do it that way. And when you start listing them, it sort of really highlights how much thought has gone into the show. At the end of the last episode, we uh, had our, our boy Zed who is Officer Zalewski. We call him Zed. He's Zed from now on. He's Zed. We We just call him Zed because it's a hard word for us Brits to say. I I struggle with it all the time. What do you mean? It's Zalewski. It's very simple. Yeah, okay. Zalewski. As the host of the show, I struggle with it all the time. So we're going to say Zed from now on. Mm. And it's not Zed from Pulp Fiction or any of that weird shit. It's just Zed. He's a nice... We Zed's really like him. Baby. Yeah, we really like him. He's a good, good, honest cop trying to make a decent living for his family in Shawshank. Um, <laughs> he's sounded the alarm because, you know, Bill Skarsgård, the kid, has, uh, you know, seemingly killed everyone. We said horrifically, you know, that the, uh, the security camera footage was very brutal. He sounded the alarm. We picked right up there. Turns out, as we sort of predicted, a manifestation. I have to say, we did mm. discuss it, that it would make no narrative sense mm. for the kid at this point with, with Henry trying to get into the prison and the setup of the new warden and everything to suddenly kill all of the guards. It, it made no, <laughs> no logical sense. So we did see this coming. I think that it's... Um, the idea of it is to, is to plant the seed that uh, obviously the kid has got these... These like mad supernatural abilities. Um, uh, we do hear later on in the episode, um, Zalewski mentioning that he's tired. He was seeing things, and and he's obviously he himself has written that off as a as a um, a result of stress and tiredness and whatever else. Um, but us as the audience, we we're still questioning that. We're still. Um, and I think I think we all probably agree that it wasn't just because Zalewski is feeling a little bit tired that he imagined those things. Um, we probably all think that this is something that uh, the kid was he was he was manipulating Zalewski's mind. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that manifests itself in future. Um, yes. And and what the extent of his powers really really are going to be again i've referenced this before 
um, last episode. But Stranger Things, um, yeah. you know, Eleven's mental yeah. powers. Yeah. Um, th- there's there's probably some similarities there as well, uh, and how much of it is is real and how much of it is perception, and I guess you know that all awaits. And as we said, and as we said with uh, Stranger Things, and for anyone listening for the first time, and and we have done a Stranger Things podcast, and we reference Stephen King all the time in that podcast, saying how his stories influenced the sort of microcosm suburban drama that that was really unfolding there. And we also said how Stranger Things reflects upon more recent Stephen King adaptations like It um, and how that new revitalization of nostalgia has really entered the zeitgeist and sort of, you know, is essentially one of the most popular genres of of storytelling at the moment. Yeah. Um, So it's a tit for tat thing, but I completely buy that anyone, you know, if anyone likes Stranger Things... I think they'll really enjoy this show. I think it's got a lot of dark elements. I think you're missing the kid element. Maybe you'll get more of that with the flashbacks of the kids. So this episode has a title sequence, which obviously the pilot didn't, and most pilots do not have a title sequence. But it's interesting here, and I mm. think I think I'm going to keep this away from King Corner, mm-hmm. just because I think it's you know going to be something that's repeated every single week. Mm. Um, the title sequence, which I actually really really liked yeah. it was the bringing together of different um chapters of, of king works into the sort of um shape of the mm. castle rock titles yeah. um and i'm just going to mention it don't want to tread on your feet em but i'm just going to mention some of the some of the some of the snippets that we see in that title sequence tiny snippets we've got chapters from the green mile uh misery it the shining just to name a few all coming together to form that Castle Rock logo. I like it. I think um, it's very well done. It, it gives you the the grounding of the, the key areas that mm. we're kind of touching on throughout this. Um, but it also reminded me of one of the original trailers for the show. That yeah, flew out from you know it's like a PowerPoint animation. Yes, yes. Um, all of the different titles. No, you're hundred percent right. <laughs> She's not... right. She's bang on then. I am. Thanks, Len. <laughs> there is a part of me that thinks that the title sequence is going to evolve. Yeah, and very possible. There are two reasons why I think that. One, I think we're going to get more references to other things, and as the story develops, I think there'll be more needful um, things. Oh, very nice, yeah, Len. Sorry. Very nice. Um, <laughs> but I also think that that uh, so when it finally hits to Castle Rock, where the the font is you know all cracked and mm. not complete, I wonder whether as we progress through the series, whether that will become more complete. Yeah, and well, that's the a good other shout. thing is Microsoft are constantly updating PowerPoints. <laughs> After the titles, we get something which I, uh, I, I personally think is the best thing the show has done to this point, which is bringing back um, Wardendale Lacey, who, as we said, elaborately killed himself in the in the in the opener, the season opener. Yeah. Um, they bring him back as the narrative through line of this episode, but his opening gambit and his opening speech and voiceover is, you know, overlaid with some excellent imagery of the sins of Castle Rock, the, the tradition, the curse that he believes to have been placed upon this town. People think we're just one of those dead towns they've heard about. A run of bad luck, worse judgment, broken promises. We know different, don't we? It's not luck. It's a plan. And not God's either. Remember the dog? The strangler? Sure you do. How about all the others that didn't make headlines? Take any house in this town. Hell, take mine. Every inch is stained with someone's sin. I lie awake at night thinking about all the blood spilled under my roof alone. So a lot of that was referenced in the trailer. It's great. But to have this visual manifestation of these horrible incidents, which I know we're going to come on to in King Corner with all the Easter eggs, was wicked. Some of that is very, very Stephen King. I mean, there's some really overt references there to you yep. know, the body, the dead zone, needful things. Mm. Loads Cujo. of things in that. Cujo, yeah, exactly. Just that one minute or a minute and a half to literally give us the backstory of this, what we perceive to be this cursed town, a very famous mm. thing with with New England, you know, with Salem and all of these other, 
you know legends of of New England America mm. which which go back hundreds of years and people genuinely believe that towns there are cursed um they, <laughs> they do are. they no well or they are you believe what you believe supernatural or not but Gareth what do you think about like the use of just seeing all of those people dying essentially um brutal it was an incredibly captivating um bit of television definitely and you're viewing this series as like an another one of those stories i guess whereas what we want to see is that this is its own story very good point absolutely very good point guys and and yeah so it's it's given its chance to be introduced as its own thing and and then it's kind of brought into the law of uh of Castle Rock. Yeah, I like that. I think we move on to Lacey's next few lines, which I think are very important. I used to get down on my knees, ask God to show me my purpose. With all the guile of hell arrayed against this town, what can one decent man do? Let me stand athwart the doorway, I told him. But God... He doesn't take requests. So I waited, and then one day, one beautiful day, God answered. We've learned a couple of things about Lacey that we didn't know in the first episode, and I'm happy that we're getting more Lacey. Mm. And, and John, I think you will agree that we're getting more <laughs> Lacey, and, he, and being the narrative through line of this episode, mm. I think, is very good. Yeah. We now know he's a pious, religious man. Yeah. Thoughts. Well, I mean, it definitely makes the uh, the sex slave thing definitely more true. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Well, I didn't think about that, but yeah, well, maybe. It does. I think it's quite interesting, actually, that um, there is a very heavy religious line, even through these first two episodes. Yeah. You know, you have Pastor Diva. Um, Reverend Diva. Henry's, Henry's father. Yeah. Um, Devo. There's some other references to religion, um, but, but this especially... Um, don't want to talk too much ahead of ourselves but um this part with Lacey is mm. um incredibly it's almost like religious mania isn't it you know mad, but madness <laughs> religious by religion. mania i see so the, i was yeah. told by god this was a sign from god and this Big is show. why this is why i'm gonna do this ridiculously awful thing of so we don't really know what he's doing at this point well no. at this point we're pretty certain that he's not he doing belie- something very nice. Yeah, he believes he's acting out of God's will, yeah. which is a, which is a very powerful thing. And you Just know, religious mania. Going back to one of his other characters, going back to Lost once more. Oh, once oh, more. Sorry, uh, you know, it was a very religious show, which really introduced mm. religious connotations extremely well into a show which was a man, a man of science and a man of faith, and essentially the whole show was built around that concept mm. um, and that conflict and that conflict, and you know. I can see something shaping up here as well because throughout this episode we get elements of the fact that Henry Henry Deva is 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 essentially a man of science, a man of law, mm. and elements later on with Alan Pangborn and also with um, Lacey seem to be very much based upon a higher power or mm. something that they Old don't school. yeah that they don't very much understand. Mm. So I, I love the sort of setup here after that excellent voiceover intro, which is. We're going to come back to in King Corner. Don't worry, everyone. We haven't forgot the references. Uh, Henry goes to the Lacey household and he sees uh, Mrs. Lacey, uh, Martha Lacey. Um, he's tr- he's there trying to get some some information on on uh, you know the, the old warden, trying to figure out why he will have kept this kid down in a cage. Maybe there's some information in his household. There's some excellent newspaper stuff here, but once mm-hmm. again. We're going to save it for King Corner, right, Em? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a lot to talk about there that links into some other references in the episode. So we'll, yeah. we'll yeah. keep you on tenter hooks, yeah, yeah. audience. Check that out. King Corner is coming soon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but Martha gets a call while he's snooping around the office and, you know, she says, are you a black man? Yes. I mean, come on. How many times is this guy going to be asked about his colour? I didn't notice or, or click that she was blind. Yeah. No, she was blind in the first episode. I know, but I didn't notice. I have to say... Was you on a fucking walking into walls? And stuff. <laughs> Just a cane and a badge. To be cane and a badge. And a badge. And That's a, almost as bad as her badge. going, are you a black man? And a Cujo guide dog. No, oh. stop savaging people. Just get me to the fucking corner shop. It's the Cujo prequel. 
It's what he was. He was a guide dog, went rabid. And he got rabies. <laughs> oh, my God. I think we're on to something there. In a way. I've got an interesting thought here, which I don't want to I don't want to say because of King Corner, but I just, <laughs> I, don't, I just thought about this now. What if she was affected by the Needful Things store to make her blind? Ooh. Now, now I'm just, th- I, I, honestly, I'm just, I don't want to go in King Corner or anything like that, but she might have an interesting past, you know, with the needful things and Alan Pangborn and all, all these sort of interconnected things. What if, what if she had uh, purchased an item from this store, mm. which promised her something, which then left her debilitated in some way? I think that's an interesting thing to think about and maybe we'll get explored later on because I think she's such a fantastic actress. I think we're going to get a bit of backstory for her. Yeah. There's no way, there's no way she's just in it, you know, for these couple of scenes. We're going to get a lot more sort of explicit description of what she's, what's happened to her. Yeah. Um, But she basically says, oh, you're the diva child. We were part of your father's congregation. What you did was awful. And now taking advantage of a blind woman, there's a special place in hell for you. Mm. He's having a bad time. I mean, he's just trying to do his job. He can't catch a break. Can I he? feel so sorry for the lad. Like he's just trying. He's trying his hardest. God but then damn he it. follows that up with, with, "Oh yeah, good." Very nosy. What's in your basement? What's in your basement, love? Like, you fucking have a laugh, mate. Yeah, she's just said there's a special place in hell for you. Oh, what's in the basement then? What's in the basement? There is a very large padlock <laughs> on that door, though. There is, yeah. and I have to say, I, I think we're going to well, come back to it. Is it a large padlock, or is that just the shot? I don't think the padlock is as big as him. <laughs> Perspective. You do see the padlock beforehand, and it is a regular-sized padlock. <laughs> <laughs> um, Reddit, that. Reddit has confirmed the padlock is a chub regular-sized <laughs> padlock. It is Thanks, a regular-sized padlock. I can confirm. Henry, after being told that he's got a special place in hell, goes to church because, you know, feeling guilty now. He's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to hell. Yeah, yeah. Um, turns up. Sees his old congregation. I say his old congregation because it was his old father's congregation. So yeah, Reverend Diva used father. used to uh, lead the congregation in Castle Rock, and we know led prayer group at Shawshank and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so it's a big callback for Henry to go there, and obviously he's very. He's got the whole, the whole world in his hands because that's what they would. That's sing what in that, the they would sing that in the church. I love that. Um, it's a big deal for him to go back there. They're sorting out the prayer group. One of the one of the characters they read out. Very interesting. Uh, Bruce Lee McNamara. I'll name him because he's fictional. Um, Fifty-seven years old. One count indecent exposure. That's all right, John. That's what you've got, and they've let that slide. Don't say that. They've let that slide. Don't say that's not happening. <laughs> Six counts murder. Oh, there's mine. Oh, and two counts. Wow. Desecration of a grave. Yeah. So classic Gareth. That's, that's the. F- Full house. That's a full house. I'm the only clean one. Um, well, no, they just didn't get to your one. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. Mine's, mine's too sordid. You're, you're in the basement with that big padlock on. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's in the basement? Len. <laughs> so, um, How'd you get down there, mate? Oh, just yeah. don't ask. Someone puts a hand up. Now, this was very interesting. I, 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 it's a King Corner thing. It's a King Corner thing. But Jackie Torrance puts her hand up. Yeah. Fucking hell. Everyone should get that reference right now. This is interesting, though. This is, what, what I find interesting is that she's obviously younger than Jack Torrance. Like, she's come after Jack Torrance. So somebody in that family has probably decided to name her after Jack Torrance. It's very strange, Gareth. And I don't think we can overlook the name. See what I did there? Pun. Oh, overlook. Very good. Um, that was very good. But- well done. In all in all seriousness, I think the name is is, is just is just suggestive at this point. Well, I think it's like we talked about in episode one, Leanne Chambers. It's the kind of repetition of uh, surnames, etc. So it is. It's it's just a I suppose a hark, isn't it? A hark, a hark back. Hark to back. The multiverse. Harky. So Jackie Torrance, we think subtle nod, nothing more. I mean, the the actress has said it means something. Just saying. Oh, has she? That's interesting. I didn't know that. And she does actually seem like she's going to be a relatively important character. So it'd be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, Zelensky or Zed, as we call him, or Zelewski or whatever the fuck. Zed. Uh, <laughs> we have struggle. I, I struggle with his name. I don't know why. I just do. I struggle with his name. All right. He asked the kid whether he left his cell. And you referenced it earlier, Gareth. And he blames it upon his um, 
you know tiredness because his his wife is pregnant and expecting a baby so we're getting a bit of backstory for the character we're getting a bit more like you know and we saw in the first episode he was reading a book of baby names so we're getting a sort of you know bit of backstory with his character um which leads into this was it him being tired or is there something supernatural about the kid john as a man who is skeptical at the best of times give me whether you think the kid is a force for good, a force for evil, or just a regular kid? Uh, evil. Evil. Done. Done. That's it. John. John's. He's, John's he's review. Evil. He's a little dweeb. He's a dweebo. Um, he's dweevil. And I think uh, mainly because of all the, you know, because of the it connotations you got going on. Yeah, that. But also, if you're if you're stuck in a little cage, yes, uh, and you know stuff's happening to you. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on that? Well, I think we all know. I mean, we've la- labelled this podcast as explicit, but I don't think you can describe what was going on there and it be allowed to be broadcast. Yeah. For well, what you think was going on there. Because be- bearing in mind that... Okay, all right, well, look. So we got an old religious fella... Yeah. ...going down to visit him. Yeah. And famously... Yeah, go on. What they used to do back in, like, the 40s or whatever... In the 40s? Uh, no, no, no. Like in uh, in terms of films and stuff. Yeah, yeah, go on. No, no, it's true. Um, John knows. You know, you, you can't go, all right, well, no, don't put your knob away. You can't have that on the TV. What we do, just smoke because it's obvious what you've done afterwards. That's yeah? a clever Because they go, all right, so just you, you start smoking. Yeah. They go, all right, well, something happened because he's... Because he's, you know, he's this is the connotation of cigarettes yeah. and, so, you know, So yes. bearing in mind, there was a bucket down there <laughs> of old cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Used, yeah. That's yeah. what they're saying. Okay. In well, case, I ask if you genuinely think that that's the case? Can I, can I just say... Why not? After two episodes, can I just say anything about why are we the official podcast of the show? With that sort of analysis, I think I think something you know. Did you create this show, John? Because just saying, you're seeing things that other people just do not see. Well, I see what I want to see. Yeah, it's very Um, Stephen King of you. If you take it back to the lovely voiceover of uh, Terry Quinn, Terry Quinn, Dale Lacey, Quinn, Dale Lacey, Quinny. I think you might find that he locked him up because he thought he was the devil incarnate. <laughs> Let's move on. The ever mysterious Alan Pangborn, who we went into detail with in our King Corner in our premiere episode, um, has some excellent monologue or has an excellent monologue uh, in this episode. Uh, he meets the warden in a sort of hotel bar. Love this. Very good. And I'm going to insert the clip here because my voice cannot do what this man's voice can do. I remember one night, this town car whips past, bad out of hell. I pull the guy over. Turns out to be your predecessor, Warden Lacey. Well, that night, he told me he had finally figured out what was wrong with Castle Rock. He said he had always thought the devil was just a metaphor, but now he knew the devil was a boy. And old Dale said he caught him, had locked the devil in a box. And from here on out, it was blue skies and butterflies. How long ago was this? Don't let that fucking kid out. That last comment is, I think it's brilliant because there's a moment um, in episode one where um, Henry speaks to Pangborn. You have trouble with uh, Kalowski? Kalowski? Zalewski. Zalewski? Well, clearly you do. (laughs) We all have problems with Zalewski. Henry and Pangborn have a conversation where this is kind of raised and he's like, I don't really know what the fuck you're talking about. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, you do. You're Mm. lying. You are in on your dollar at a time. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. One, uh, maybe not interesting, but I think it's interesting, is the geography of this particular scene. Oh, fuck off. No, because... They're in, so they reference the fact that they're in like the Hilton Augusta, which is like the capital city of, of Maine, right? Yeah. So he's, he's obviously gone way out of his way to go and meet up with her 
in another town um, in Maine. So, you know, like, it, it's not like a... I mean, obviously we know it's not a chance encounter, but we know that it's a very deliberate... Deliberate move from uh, him. ...step for him to take to head all that way. Yeah. And later in the episode, we understand why that is the case. Whereas at this point, we're we're... This is a very revealing sort of speech from him mm. that makes us think, hey... You said in the last episode, like Emma said, you said in the last episode you didn't really get along with Lacey that well. Different worlds and all that jazz. And now you're specifically advising the new warden to follow the old crazy warden. At this point, we assume he's a bit mad. Old crazy warden. To, to follow his his line of of thinking. Don't let that fucking kid out. Mm. So very interesting. And he's obviously gone out there to try and influence things. And, and Pangborn being... As influential as he is in so many historical king works, is definitely now the main, I would say, Ooh. anti-protagonist. The sort of the guy who, the villain maybe perhaps, or someone who is working against Diva. Diva doesn't even know what he's into at the moment. Diva just thinks he's doing a lawyer's case, but it's obviously something much more supernatural and will affect his past and all this sort of stuff later on. Let's move on. Uh, she's a new warden, so she she listens to, you know, she's had a bad first couple of days because mm. she gets the, the random sex slave in a dungeon. Yeah. As far as she's concerned, that's the, probably the case. Mm. That is what they and what, said. And what John is thinking. Well, um, clues. She's decided on her first day, ah, let's just let's just forget about that, shall we? Just put him in a cell for now. <laughs> yeah. let's, not, let's not worry about it. Don't worry about it, mate. Just don't worry about it. Uh, now she goes to have a drink at the hotel bar where she's probably like just trying to buy a house in the region. She's probably trying to buy a house in the area, but she's staying at a hotel at the moment, you know, just mm. just finding her feet in a new job. Crazy cop comes up to her, says all that spiel. She's like, well, he sounds sensible. Mm. What's, what is she thinking? To be honest, like I've done office trips away. Yeah. Where I've had to stay in a hotel. Yeah. On my own. Yeah. And I've just had to drink on my own. Yeah. And it's fucking depressing. So I don't, right, I don't care. You're right, mate. Are you sure? If you want to talk about something, well, I mean, I would talk to anyone at that point. Like yeah. if someone came up and said, "Look, you know, I'm a crazy cop." Yeah. And you know, the company that you work at, yeah. I'm telling you now, there's a sex slave in there, but don't let him out. He's a devil. Don't let him out. All right. Okay. Anyway, well, what what are you up to tonight? <laughs> Fair. Like because it's a lonely existence. That's fair, mate. So I'd I'd be like, yeah, good. I'll have a conversation with this fella. I'm going to talk to John after this podcast, listeners. So don't worry, we will <laughs> we will really flesh out this on a more one to one counselling basis. Use the word flesh. I just I, I like the way that John, you say because you've gone to a hotel on your own, you have to go and drink at the bar. Yes, yeah, well, obviously you do. He he. You know, th- there's an option. There's an option to not. Yeah, John thinks. Oh, what's the point in that? John thinks he is in a seventies American sort of drama where he has to go to the bar. The oh, bartender okay. pours him a whiskey, and then he goes, "Leave the bottle." That's literally the sort of character that John is. Yeah, well, you know, um, cool in that. Isn't it? Well, cool in nineteen seventies, mate. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Molly is now meeting her sister, who I instantly recognised. She's in Fargo season one. She's fucking awesome in that season. Mm-hmm. What's she doing playing a little bit part here? I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, well, she, she might have a ma- more major roles come. Up again. 100%. 100%. We're still, we're still early days. Uh, MSA, no. They have a meeting, um, and <laughs> Molly's uh, wearing her sunglasses. A uh, bit weird. Oh, indoors. Indoors. Weird. I know that. she's got the drug thing going on, but we get from their conversation that <laughs> uh, she's a psychic, basically. Um, well. She believes that she's a psychic at this point. We we, we we kind of understand that she uses this drug to suppress certain emotions, which is something that's very common in... It's very tropey. It's very sort of like, you know, this this sort of genre. Yeah. Um, having a go at drugs, aren't they? Sort of, but they're I mean, kind of... Having a go they live a certain age and a certain uh, lifestyle. Yeah, but she's yeah. a mess. Yeah. Well, is it is it is it worth clarifying? Like, she's not she's not really saying that she's trying to like drown out her feelings. She's she literally says like it muffles other voices because you know she's so she's so empathetic. Um, this is her reasoning. She's she her empathy signals are like through the roof or whatever. 
that she can constantly feel and hear what other people are feeling and hearing and so she needs to try and drown that out that will help to block those signals right it's important to note here that we're getting this excellent use of flashbacks again in this episode but this time they're more focused on molly's interpretation of events Mm. that happened which i think are fantastic yeah and it's great it's great to have this as an aside to the henry flashbacks that we had as in the first episode it's a very good juxtaposition obviously they we find out that they live opposite each other Mm. which is interesting as well so literally a juxtaposition um (laughs) but also you discover um both from this and uh, the comments of from her sister that she was pretty much obsessed with henry yeah and we Mm. got inklings of that we got inklings of that with the box in the first episode we were like what the fuck's that about and now we've got this um her sister overtly just says you were obsessed kind of misery-esque perhaps she calls it like pre-pubescent stalking yeah exactly Mm. and we get the flashback um and I'm just going to sum up all of the flashbacks here, that she lived across the road, um, basically tad obsessed, as we said. We get we see her get questioned by the police as to Henry's whereabouts. Um, he, they're like, you know, Henry's dad's been found at the at the bottom of the, the lake or the bottom of the cliff. His, his back's broken. He's fighting for his life. We're worried about Henry. Where is he? This is a search and rescue. Can you help us find him? And then one of her responses, it's not it's not his real dad. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I was like, Jesus, man. Dad, so. so obviously there's something going on there. It's the first hint that you get, I think, isn't it? The first hint that you get that um, something wasn't quite right in that relationship because Henry doesn't remember it, does he? He doesn't remember his relationship because he doesn't remember anything before that event it's very strange yes how his memory is just so selective i mean it's obviously the the, one of the central mystery boxes like we referenced in the first (laughs) first episode and they're they're continuing it which i which i like and i like getting these little tidbits every episode it just keeps happening and we just get little flashes every episode i'm very much into that i'm very much into this slow reveal slowly unboxing the mystery so there's a, a really important part of this flashback i think that is the fact that the whole time that she's speaking with the policeman, her bed cover is up over her face, and we only see her eyes. No, and then and then he references the policeman says, you know, oh yes, yeah, it's, it's so nice and warm in here, but outside it's freezing. Anyway, they leave. She moves the covers down and then breathes, and we see, um, we see that she's breathing like she's outside in the freezing cold. Yeah, yeah, which, um, shows how powerful her these empathy connections are like she's she's literally experiencing what he's experiencing what henry's experiencing right at that point what cold i've well no but it, well yeah he's I out mean, in more than just cold it's degrees. not like yeah it's freezing it's, it's that, freezing you, know, when yeah. you're, you can see your breath in the cold air and that's mm. what it is that's why she's hiding her mouth yes it's supposed to be in this like nice warm room you wouldn't see your breath you, your breath wouldn't yeah condense in that in that situation, so it's showing like she is she's literally experiencing what Henry's experiencing at that point. True. So she knows she knows what's happening to Henry at that moment, and that's that's so key here because we now know that she is going to have she's going to be able able to unlock what happened to Henry because Henry doesn't remember his dad is dead. She's the only one that's going to be able to tell us what yeah. actually happened. That's true. That's time. true. That's true. If that's the case, that she is psychically linked to Henry, which we kind of get the impression of from these flashbacks. Mm. If, um, if we had a worse line of the week, yeah, it would probably be some of the stuff that that policeman says. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He, I know you love an extra John, but he was a he weak was one. Shit. He was a shit one, wasn't he? Um, Henry goes to the bar to try and meet uh, Zed, our boy Zed, the Shawshank good guy. Um, and Jackie Torrance appears. Jackie Torrance, I love saying her name. It, just, it reminds me of The Shining. It's so good. Um Asking him about his feet, weirdly, and about frostbite and all, and all that jazz. I think she's sort of chatting him up here. Oh, yeah, I think definitely. she's sort of idolising him in a way, like a sort of... Um, she's a young person within the town. Young. Not like that. Young and blonde. It's not like needful things, John. I'm not like, well, you know... He's a bit fit. He is a good-looking lad. He's a bit of a legend in his own way, even if it's negative. It's um, kind of like... I think, I think, I think, I think she's chatting yeah. him up here yeah. in a way that is 
very much specific to her character. She seems to like the idea that he is this legendary character who who potentially killed his father. Um, and she's trying to get to the bottom well, of it. That was part of her chat up, wasn't it? It literally, literally you was. You killed your dad, didn't you? Have you killed, you your dad. Three and killed your dad. Yeah. Um, but we learn an interesting line here that uh, Reverend Diva didn't die at the lake. He died at home. Mm. So that's interesting. Like, so he was it, found barely clinging to life. I think. Was and the they, they brought him home, not to a hospital. That's weird. But okay, we'll we'll go with it. And I think that's you know at this point we trust Henry more so than the overt weird comments he's getting from random town people. <laughs> um, so we'll go with Henry's judgment. Um, Henry makes contact with uh, Zed, gives him a little drink and a, and a bar note, and they get chatting. Um, Lacey's voiceover, as we said, is, is, is inherent throughout this episode. It literally strings certain scenes together. Give a man the keys to the dungeon. Tell him to lock up the monster. Or pin a star on his chest. Call him a sheriff. Maybe he succeeds a while. A year, a decade or two if he's lucky. But evil outlasts us all. This theme is running throughout the episode. This theme of Lacey and Pangborn being connected. Right? So, yes. first episode, thought they didn't like each other lies second episode we're getting every single sort of interlude between major scenes and scenes with pangborn and the original vo with lacy we're getting connotations of piousness religion um the fact that pangborn as we know and as we've said in king corner has been intrinsically linked to so many stories that will have have affected him to this point like Mm. needful things Mm. um the dark half all of this sort of stuff and he's lived through it and he's an older like more haggard, more, you know, sort of weathered man who believes in a higher power, believes in superstition. And now we know that Lacey does the same thing with, with God and all that. So it's just mm. so interesting to have these two characters sort of align themselves in death in Lacey's case. Mm. And as we learn at the end of the episode, which we'll come on to, passing the torch, perhaps. And did you guys not think that's just such a... Such a turn of events from the first episode. Like I, I didn't think we'd be getting this sort of like shape of things just the second episode in. There's, there's clearly a connection between the two, and it's a lot, it's a lot more explicit. Um, he, he's like the torch carrier, isn't he? Um, uh, after Lacey's, after Lacey's death, it, it's suggested that he is the, the man to continue his work. Um, the protector of uh, of the town, yeah. I don't know. You're absolutely right. Like it's um, it's it's quite a change from the initial the initial impression that we get that they didn't really know each other or like each other or agree or whatever. But that's all we know. Again, that's all we know at this point. And I think the the show is setting up some some good mysteries for us at this point. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's one of them. And in this scene, it overtly. Cuts to Pangborn digging up a suitcase filled with something, which we're going to come on to in King Corner because I don't want to spoil it. It's just too delicious. It's too lovely. Disgusting. As, disgusting. But I have Why to. It in a briefcase. It's like a mini coffin. I thought. I thought it was quite a sweet. Well, coffin. Well, I just thought. <laughs> I thought it was a suitcase. No, it's a suitcase. But I thought it was a sweet. Well, I've just only thought I've buried it. I've buried a dog before, and I have to say, it's a horrible experience. Well, yeah, but and it was I, still alive. Jesus, man. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. RSPCA, which in England is the, you know, animal oh, animal police, will yeah. be over here quicker than you say anything. Mm. But um, no, I thought the suitcase was a sweet touch, actually, mm. to be honest with you, as a miniature sort of coffin. I mean, <laughs> I you don't know. bury bones in the ground, man. You've got to have a bit of respect for your loved ones. Uh, yeah, but well, I have a little box. A shoebox. A shoebox? Shoe what, what is it? A fucking chihuahua? No, no, it's a big dog, but you just smash it into bits and then just put it into... <laughs> is it Cujo again? It was already, <laughs> it was already smashed into bits. Um, <laughs> That's how it dies. Um, yeah. So Henry and Zed finally meet. They chat about the kid. 
Zed says he can't do any more. He's got a baby on the way. He's got a breast pump in the back, yeah? Yeah, that's weird. He What's needs he needs his job. His wife's about to deliver in about a month. Yeah. He doesn't want to get he doesn't want to be deposed. He doesn't want to give any evidence. Well, that's almost like he's chatting him up there. I've got a breast pump in the back. Is it? What are you watching? <laughs> Also, have you ever seen a breast pump? Because they're real fucking unattractive, man. I mean, no offence, they're, they're, they're vital, but yeah. really. I mean, your interpretation of a lot of these scenes worries the fuck out of me. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are so like... I'm stressed out. Yeah, you go to hotels, you drink on your own. No, I'm just saying... You watch some no, films, what? In that, With a breast pump. Look, you know, you're asking me to do this. I'm yeah. really stressed out. yeah. Yeah? Got a yeah. breast pump in the back. Got, got a breast so, pump. Don't depose me. Um, you know... Basically, they come to the decision that Henry has to get in the prison to see the the kid, um, and then I thought this was excellently well done. I thought yep. this is how the show is is really coming together in the way it's crafted. I think the showrunners are doing a great job in these first two episodes and doing some lovely, lovely uh, sort of cuts and some lovely sort of transitions. And they say it's going to take an act of God yeah. to get Henry in the prison. This was brilliant. So this was very well set up with the prayer meeting that we had obviously earlier in the episode but it cuts to him getting off the bus as part of the prayer group going in to like sing and talk to prisoners I just thought that was lovely it's yeah, a lovely it was, it was great it's a lovely tie-in right to Father Reverend Diva his dad mm-hmm. who he clearly in these first two episodes even though the flashbacks are sort of telling us uh, you know he, he didn't remember anything he's very unemotional mm. at the time now, even when he talked to his mother in the fir- uh, in this episode, in the first episode, mm-hmm. he seems he seems very like longing for his father. He has mm. some kind of deep rooted connection to him, doesn't he? Yes, and, and that I think possibly came after his death through religion. Yeah, in one form or another, because there's still clearly a part of him that has a um, a religious streak is that an acceptable way to put it i I don't know um it's heavily embedded within his childhood i think Mm. um and i think more will be revealed as we go on but yeah i just love the way that religion is still tying into this like he's using the prayer group to get into the prison there's that emotional scene the way the music swells and they're all singing Mm. and, and 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 you know i'll bring it onto the dark part of the juxtaposition of this scene which is where the kid was thrown into a cell with neo-nazi man Mm. and neo-nazi man one neo-nazi man one who you know they it was a deliberate ploy by the sort of i don't know it's a private prison right which i i find very unsettling as a general general it's bizarre i don't understand how that's a thing apparently it is a thing Mm. it blows my mind but it's a private prison and they like oh we could take it to the board or we could just throw him in a cell with someone who collects life sentences mm. and he'll be done they'll be killed game yeah. over he goes into this cell with the neo-nazi um the neo-nazi's like looking at him like just like wanting to start on him or something just wanting to cause well, trouble I, yeah I wanting to cause trouble when he's standing there <laughs> not saying anything yeah it's like shut up yes yeah, <laughs> it's like jesus man. said nothing do you want to hear something interesting about his tattoos yeah yes. go on. so on his head i think it is he's got the numbers one four eight eight. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going around that, thinking that it was a reference to um, like a Stephen King short story. Fourteen oh eight. Fourteen oh eight exactly. Um, so a lot of people were thinking it was that, but apparently one four eight eight is a reference to like a white supremacist um, thing where yeah. they yeah they say like. Um, they've got like 14 words and the 8-8 eight, eight then represents H-H, standing for Heil Hitler. Oh, so it's, um, yeah, it's probably a little bit of a nod to both. Perhaps. Yeah. I think it's very smart, actually, because 14-8-8 could be mistaken for 1408 um, mm. and vice versa. I think it's very well done. And I wasn't going to bring that up in uh, King Corner, actually, because I, did, I thought it was a bit dubious for the Stephen King Dubious. Reference. So thank you for bringing up uh, that there, Gas. <clears throat> Turns out our boy, uh, Nazi number one, uh, Nazi man number one. Um, Let's not call him our boy. He's not our boy. He's not like Zed. He's not our boy. The, boy. Um, the Nazi <laughs> number one. Uh, turns out he went to touch Zed. Uh, not Zed. He went to touch the kid. Oh, and he said that. Not, not inappropriately, John. I know well, what you're thinking. What do you mean? Because you just love that. 
No, but no, of course he would. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, maybe he would. Well, yeah. So think about it. He went to touch the kid. Yes. And it's a prison man. Turns out he's dead instantly. Yeah. He's he's got every form of cancer. No, but hold on. But he says to him, doesn't he? He's like, "Don't touch me." He does say, "Don't touch me." So yeah. he warns him. He, he said, "You don't want to touch me." Yes. Yeah. Which is a, a whole Make other thing. It's not a don't do it. It's so, a, dude, you don't want to do this. I mean, <laughs> I found it. I found it extremely unsettling. I found it extremely creepy. That whole sort of reveal, and it's juxtaposed with the um, Henry and that lot singing to like the other mm. prisoners, and it's very, very well God done. Can I bring <laughs> yeah. up something here? And I don't know how you feel about the kid guys at this point, um, but I think that Love the him. fact that he's. Yeah. Ah, uh, kid. Um, I think the fact that he has only muttered a handful of words at yeah. this point being Henry Diva, Henry Matthew Diva, and you don't want to touch me. I think the fact that he actually managed to vocalise those words means that he really doesn't want this to happen. And I think that gives a, a kind of nod to the fact that he is not a malevolent character by mm. choice. I don't think he has a choice. Yeah, maybe he doesn't have a choice. Maybe yeah. the things that are happening to him are have been told to him by yeah. like Terry O'Quinn's character, mm. Dale Lacey. You know, he's I think it started you know, way before that, but I think that he's been made to feel like a force for evil. Yeah. And but it, I don't think he wants to do it and it's not intentional for him. But here's the thing. Could be wrong. If you're a child and the only thing you know is being locked up in a cage and being told you're the devil <laughs> you will believe you're the devil. It's as simple as that. So maybe this kid's it's a very whole... specific scenario. No, but it's yeah, it's very specific. It's specific to the show. Like it's yeah. it's, it's it's nurture rather than nature. This kid yeah. might have been a normal kid. Mm. Dale Lacey's gone a bit pious, gone a bit mad. Mm. Thinks that everything you know is because of this kid. Locked him up, and now he's completely yeah. indoctrinated to think that he's the worst thing ever. Don't touch me because you'll die. Maybe that guy did have all those cancers. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, let's just be honest about this. This definition of realism versus the supernatural, which is something that's very interesting. And in a lot of Stephen King books, you question how supernatural are they? What are the rules? <clears throat> what are the rules in this universe? Well, they do. I'm not sure, yeah, mate. But, so they make a, a reference in being riddled with cancer. And yeah. It's like, well, how how was he even? How could he even walk? Well, how into could he even his walk cell? into a cell? I know, yeah. I know. But it's this question. It's these. Questions of doubt. And I'm just saying that if this kid has been brought up in a cage for God knows how long to believe he is something, maybe he genuinely believes he is something. Mm. I think that's an interesting thing to consider. Lacey follows follows this up after you get this amazing scene of after the neo-Nazi has been told he's riddled with cancer, he's dead, mm. he's on the table, dead. Um, uh, the kid gets thrown out into the yard Henry sees him. Lacey's VO says, Never again let him see the light of day. That's what God told me. He told me where to find him. How his prison should be built. How to put an end to all the horrors we've seen in this town. What he didn't tell me was how full of doubt I would be about what we did or where I'd wind up in the end. I fear for this place. I fear what's to come, Alan. But I also know Castle Rock still has a defender, even in the dead of night. So, mm-hmm. reveal that he's written specific instructions to Pangborn. Pangborn, Batman, Batman believes what he's been told, mm-hmm. clearly from the way he's been acting in the previous mm-hmm. two episodes, the way he's orchestrating things behind the scenes, the way he's driving out, like Gareth said, to another town to meet the warden, the way he's confronting Henry, making him go to the bluff make it you know there's a reason that suicide happened at the bluff that henry was found at right mm. so yes. very interesting and i love the fact that like we said earlier in this second episode complete u-turn we find out straight away 
that the people working against maybe people like Henry, people like Molly are Pangborn and Lacey from the grave who has this master plan that God has told him to fulfill. Mm. So very interesting. Guys, are you happy with that ending? I thought that ending was very good. I loved it. I I thought that it was a great way to finish it up. It actually gave us a little bit of closure um, on the, the the Lacey suicide in its own way because he did leave a note. He left a note for Alan. Yeah, just bloody Alan. And, you know, because his wife can't read. Can't um Braille's a lot harder to write in. Yeah. Um, when you're in a rush, yeah. Yeah, when you're in a rush. But oh, I also I also like that reference to the fact that Pangborn has always been in, in the multiverse, you know, scenario of Castle Rock, um, and and always will be its defender against some some real forces for evil, you know, yeah, that happens in needful things in the dead zone and yeah. you know, very closely to him in the dead zone and we'll talk more about this in, in, in the King Corner in this episode. Um but I thought it was really beautifully done. And I also thought that um the acting uh of Pangborn's reaction to that was um fantastic. Mm. He's a great actor man. He, he and the thing is, I'm glad that he's got a big role in the show. Yeah. I'm I'm happy that he is he's just got gravitas. I love him. Want to see more of him and I love the fact that it links into all of his past like you just said you can understand his perspective what we said in King Corner last yes. week we understand his perspective on these things. He's seen everything. He's seen some weird shit go down in this town. Mm. If you were in his shoes you'd be like yes this town is cursed. Yes, supernatural things do exist. And yes, that boy is the devil. Keep him locked up. Because since he's been locked up for God knows how long, nothing bad's happened. So you can understand it. And that brings us to the close of the second episode. Uh, we're going to now move on to what we're calling King Corner. I'm innocent, Red. Just like everybody else here. The house is burning. Hi, Georgie. I'm afraid I have a tendency to turn up the heat. Red rum! Red rum! Welcome back to King Corner. Uh, so this is episode two, and uh, we've got some really interesting Easter eggs uh, to discuss from this episode. Right up at the beginning of this episode, we obviously have the file full of newspaper clippings, um, and yeah. we're covering... <laughs> rabid dogs the yeah. strangler um various other bits and pieces we're yeah. talking about um, a number of different things yeah. um silly dog the curiosity shop that you know needful things references so at this point we've got cujo obviously our mm. rabid dog um leland gaunt from uh, needful things which is the owner who died in a mysterious shop fire oh. um and the strangler which is frank dodd um, so I'll give you guys a little bit of background. This is part of the Dead Zone story, which heavily features uh, Alan Pangborn, Sheriff Alan Pangborn at this point. Um, so Frank Dodd is a uh, deputy in the police department in Castle Rock. And it yeah, turns out that he... Deputy. Yeah. Uh, it turns out he's been a serial killer. So, you know, all real no, rough and tumble. And uh, Johnny Smith are... Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith, who is the resident psychic um, in and around Maine, helps to uh, find and apprehend Frank Dodd along with Alan Pangborn. Um, There are some other references to this actually later on in uh, this episode, um, but I imagine that it will keep coming up as we move further on. Frank Dodd is a a big part of the Castle Rock history. Mm. Um, So that's a very interesting starting point for us. What we also have here um, are uh, some references to the novel The Body. So uh, one of those other newspaper clippings talks about body found um, by boys relating to the body, which was obviously the book that the film Stand By Me was based Mm, on, which I thought was really interesting. Nothing supernatural going on with that. Just just boys coming of age, finding something that changes their lives. Mm. And I think actually this is probably one of the least well-known connections to Stephen King is um, the fact that the body is what's based on, what Stand By Me is yeah, based yeah. on. It's yeah. the leech in the pants. Do what, you, you right now? No, just <laughs> Stand By Me. Just makes me sick. 
I'll never forget seeing that scene for the first time. That's your, that's your new nickname. So, oh, look, I've, I haven't got any leeches on me. I love it. Oh, hang about. John's not said anything for about 10 minutes. He just goes, leech in the pants. Leech in the pants. I was like, what is going on here? This is disgusting. This is awful. It's well fed as well. <laughs> Gluttonous. It is, yeah. What a greedy little leech. Good place to be, though, if you're Disgusting. a leech. Disgusting. I have to say. Yeah. Well, yeah. We've already raised this one, but I think it's worth bringing up again. So, uh, Jackie Torrance, obviously, we're thinking about The Shining here, right? There is a point where Lacey is talking about in this episode uh, the fact that, you know, horrible things have happened all yeah. around Castle Rock. Yeah. And one of those things uh, involves a flashback to the murders that have happened in his house. And there are yeah. two references here. Uh, one is um, probably less visually obvious than the other, um, and that is the fact that the car that fills up with gas in the uh, in the garage, mm, yeah. um, which is uh, obviously committing a murder at this point, is actually uh, what is called a Plymouth Fury, which is the car from Christine. Christine, yeah, like that. Great like shout. That. I liked yeah, it a lot. It's good, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. The other one that I liked especially more so was the um, the dead body bleeding in a bath with a tap running and the blood running down the stairs. Mm. Very reminiscent of scenes from The Shining. Yeah, I mean, the mm. blood or water or anything like also, crashing down hideous. the stairs. Mm. And then we've got two key parts of Castle Rock or key locations in Castle Rock that come up in a number of different uh, novels. So we have the Mellow Tiger Bar, uh, this is where Henry first gets his chance to speak to Zed. And Jackie Torrance, whenever they all flirt about toes and shit. Absolutely. Mm. Are you missing three toes? Go on, show me yours and I'll show you mine. Um, but that is a, um, a huge part of the novel Needful Things, which came out, ironically, in 1991, or was published Ooh. in 1991. But you also have uh, Nan's. Nan's Luncheonette, or we'll just call it Nan's Place, shall we? Um, again, this comes up in uh, Needful Things. It's also mentioned in The Dark Half. Um, and there's a, a short novella or part of a short story collection called The Sun Dog, where it's, it's mentioned. Um, and I, I really like when I was putting this together with some assistance from Len. There is a particular point here where it's described as the greasy spoon that turned into a fuck club. Ooh. Great sentence. John's interested. Go on, mate. Yep, yeah, he's in. Go on. Anymore? Oh, I'm starving. That's it. But I mean, that does cut. So that comes up in conversation, um, funnily enough, in the Mellow Tiger between Jackie Torrance and Henry in this yeah, episode. That's a story about backstory and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it's and it's, it's a really interesting set of links, you know. But what it's also doing uh, with using these two particular um, physical locations is cementing the reality of Castle Rock yeah. as a mm. as a place in its and own. And all right. these characters are drifters. And the towns mm-hmm. are consistent, and the places in the town are consistent, and Absolutely. stories evolve around them, which I think I think I think is really important. And I think that's something the showrunners are going for. Hopefully, if this gets a second, third, fourth season, yeah, mm-hmm. of course you will keep the locations. Obviously, we've missed a really key part here. Yeah, my favourite one. Em. Yeah, so I saved it for last because I knew you guys would like it. The, uh, so we flash back to Alan Pangborn. He's digging in the ground and we're thinking, what on earth is going on here? And no, this isn't the bit where the dog digs up the head of Dale Lacey. This is the bit where Alan Pangborn is digging in the ground to prove to Henry's mother that the dog is dead. And what does that remind us all of? A boy, Pet Cemetery. Oh, mm, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Yeah. I hate that film. But I think also if you look at the kind of the ravaged nature of the dog and you think about what he describes uh, the dog's behaviour as somewhat um, being a little bit wild, it does also call Cujo out to Cujo. Mm. Yeah. Um, so this episode gave us a lot, yeah. a lot of Easter eggs in this Easter episode. Eggs. Okay. Um, the, so the mascot, when it jumps off the building at the yeah. beginning. Mm. Yeah. I mean that looks very similar. Yeah, yeah, that looks very similar to the fucking rabbit bear thing that's that sort of about to give a blowjob in The Shining. Yeah, do you not think? And I and I think that's a great shot. I think, yeah, like giant animals in general. Let's be honest, (laughs) animals, animals in general in Stephen King recurring theme, yeah, mythology recurring. Mm. Like be it Pet Cemetery, be it Cujo, even in this show, you've had the alligator farm in the first episode, which we didn't really touch on, but that was weird. Mm. You've got the, the dog appearing again with um, Terry O'Quinn and Be- and like hello, I'm the Julux dog. We didn't really mm. mention, but digging up the head of Terry O'Quinn here, mm. you've got some interesting animal 
things going on. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. But the, 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 there's a theme, isn't there? There is a theme. But but don't you, don't you think though that this particular moment that John's bringing up is one of the creepiest looking moments so ever? Creepy. Yeah. So it's so creepy. There's something about it's weird as hell. People dressed up as animals. Yeah, it's weird. Like doing creepy stuff. It's weird. That mascots is, freak they... me out anyway. Unless it's you know a race of mascots, in which case I fully adhere to it with a lot of booze and cheer them on. You know, but yeah. when they're doing creepy stuff, get away from me, mascots. Yeah, and it was. I'd, I th- I wonder if we'll hear more about that story. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, we've brought up a lot a lot of different things uh, in episode two, and hopefully episode three will continue to provide us with some really nice little tidbits of uh, Easter eggs and and harks back to the Stephen King canon. Thanks, Em. Loved it. Very good. Uh, as I said, second episode, as you've confirmed, had so many Easter eggs in it. Um, spoiled for choice, I would say we were. Um, that's it, guys. That's it for the second episode. Thank you for joining us for the review of Happiest Corpus. Um, if you have enjoyed listening to this episode, uh, then please do subscribe. You can either do so via iTunes, any podcast app, Spotify. If you're on the website, there'll be a button or you can just search wherever you want and please subscribe. You get the episode every week. Every Wednesday, the episode airs on Hulu. And by Thursday or Friday that week, you'll have the review of the next episode. Mm. Um, listen to it when you want. That's the freedom of subscriptions. You know, you just downloads to your phone, downloads to your device, choose when you want to do it. Um, other than that just want to mention our parent podcast Fan Critical if you are interested in anything like The Walking Dead Game of Thrones Black Mirror Stranger Things any sort of Marvel film uh, we're going to be covering Ant-Man and the Wasp very soon uh, things like that then please do subscribe to our parent podcast all our previous content is on there if you like Westworld it's the hosts of Westworld we are also on iTunes any podcast app or Spotify Uh, thank you so much for listening I want to thank John cheers mate Emma Hi, see you later. Gareth. You are welcome. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Join us literally probably a day after this one for the review of episode three. Thank you, Hulu, for making our weekend a boozy and very work-filled one. Goodbye.